Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 435. If each day you can do one thing that towards that passion that may make it your life endeavor, that's one step in the right direction. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jump starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Paul Kramer. Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up, uh, getting ready to come out of Turn 9 through Willow Springs and hope I'm on track. Ooh, that is a nice track. I like that. Turn 9 is pretty cool, too. So, Paul Kramer runs Auto Kennel. With his father, Ed, Auto Kettle is in Costa Mesa, California, where Paul and Ed specialize in consignment programs, helping individuals store, display, market, and sell their automobiles. They assist in brokering sales, vetting buyers, protecting sellers and buyers, all in a very friendly, relaxed environment. As I was told in my pre-show chat, Auto Kennel is a lot like Cheers. Their facility is a safe place for people to store their cars while they're trying to sell them. And while you can find almost any market auto kennel, they specialize in vintage Porsches. So, Paul, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Absolutely. Thank you, Mark, and thank you very much for having me on the show. It's, it, you know, 10 years ago, if you said I would be doing this, I, I would be scratching my head. It's, I'm, <laughs> I'm still in awe about how the time went by. And really... You know, it was one of those things that you're going down one path in life, like a lot of us do. And I was in an industry that was not even remotely automotive related, but I found myself enjoying my automotive pursuits far more than my work pursuits, you mm. know, going racing, helping friends sell cars and so forth. And that's, and just one day with the, you know, guidance from my dad, he sort of turned the light bulb on and said, Hey, you know, why don't you do this full time? Which just the sound of it was kind of frightening, but it really, I would say, began with my buddy Jason Wilberding, who was in the radio business, and we were both working for uh, CBS Radio, doing different things, and we were each bringing in different cars that we'd find somewhere and buy and sell to help pay for racing. And I remember uh, he said, "Hey, let's open a dealership, and we don't have to pay tax on these and whatever." We had no idea what we we're doing. He opened up a dealership in Inglewood, and for those who don't know where Inglewood is. 
put it this way, in six years of doing this with him, way before Auto Kennel, I didn't even go to the dealership. I mean, it was in the middle of uh, the ghetto. <laughs> yeah. It was it was frightening, but we hung our license there, and and we had all these friends and and celebrities in the radio business that would didn't want to deal with dealers, didn't want to sell their cars, and we would just help them sell their cars. And I just it got. I mean, out of control. I remember I was just keeping my clients' cars at my house. It was in a gated community. And there was literally, at one point, I think I had 14 cars in guest parking, all with these silver car covers you get from Porsche. And mm-hmm. it looked like, you know, a big row of Jiffy Pop just lined <laughs> up. And the neighbors were complaining. And I remember I got on the parking committee and and that kind of bought me three years more. And eventually it just... I had to make it a little more legitimate and we sure. were thought we would just store our cars for ourselves and for our friends. And pretty soon people who were storing cars just would say, you know what, make it go away. And <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and and now it's been 10 years later, it's just myself uh, and my dad comes in and helps out part time. And I scratch my head but in the last 10 years, we've done over 700 cars on consignment and it just, wow. and the thing is it's, it's every car I've ever, for the most part, I've wanted to drive. Yeah, yeah. What fun. You know, so I wanted to have you on the show because you're a classic example of what Cars Yeah is all about. You figured out how to wrap your passion for cars into your vocation. I love it. It's a really cool pivot story. And, you know, these things take time. They build and build and build. And pretty soon, if you just stay at it, perseverance, tenacity, you've got a business you're running. So very cool. And as we continue on your journey, I first like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. I always say this is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So, Paul, I know you love cars, so take the wheel. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. I've heard some of your shows. I know a lot of people in this industry, they have quotes on following your passion, you know, going past the fear, and I, I have to agree with all of them. Growing up, I was a huge fan of Ray Bradbury. And he had a quote, and it was, love what you do and do what you love. And it goes on from there. But that was the main quote, love what you do and do what you love. And I always liked it, but I think I was too young to completely understand it. So the follow-up to that quote was when I was in college and I was studying architecture, I worked for a an architect in Hollywood. And he was uh, a little eccentric. And his name was uh, Richard Herman. And I haven't seen him in years, but I assume he's still around. And he saw me doing, you know, he kept on asking me why I was pursuing a career in architecture. And I think he knew that that may not have been my passion. Mm. So one day he said, and I I never forget this quote, um, and it wasn't that elegant like Ray Bradbury, but he said, you may go to all the parties, but there's a chance you might be renting your tuxedo. (laughs) I like it. And what he was trying to say was, if you're going for the money, you know, that may not be the pursuit you want to do. If you have to rent your tuxedo and the financial rewards aren't there for you, but you're loving what you do, it's okay. And it took a while for me to realize, you know, 10 years of the corporate industry to realize I just, you know, no amount of money made it worth wearing a tie for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that quote too. No amount of money made it worth wearing a tie for me. We'll put that one down as well. Well, it's so important, and yeah, it is cliche to follow your dreams, follow your passion, but it really has a meaning behind it because you'll feel like every day you're enjoying life, and as a result, uh, you'll be successful. I've I've had, uh, well, you're my 435th guest, 
So 434 people before you all figured it out as well. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized, oh my gosh, I'm a car guy? Yeah, I think there was two. There was a younger one and a little older one. And, you know, just like a lot of the automotive enthusiast guests you've had on your show, you know, we I, I started with a you know a staple diet of hanging out in the garage with my dad, playing with Hot Wheels. I mean, I think those are all prerequisites to being a car guy or gal. <laughs> and um, you know, my, we didn't have car. I mean, the idea of having more than one car, you know, one for the dad, one for the mom, that was it. No one had a third car mm-hmm. growing up, and so my dad's one car was it. So it got a lot of focus and time. And when I was growing up, he. His one cool car he had was he bought new a 73 240Z. Ah, nice. I assumed uh, that was going to be my first car, which that was a horribly wrong assumption. <laughs> yeah, we all do that. And I would just hang out in, in the garage, whether it was my dad changing oil. And, you know, sometimes I would help. I don't think I was that mechanically inclined, but I just liked the feeling of it, the smell of the fluids. You know, he always had, you know, Glenn Campbell in the background on low or, you know, and, and I, and if I wasn't helping him, I was usually taking my Hot Wheels and putting them in the vice and crushing them. Oh gosh. <laughs> I was pretty destructive. I think the parents thought I was going to be a dismantler. <laughs> and then one day, um, my dad decides he's going to put a moonroof in his 240Z. And this is those cheesy seventies ones that pop up. You get at Pep Boys. Oh yeah. And this wasn't just a little one. I mean, this moonroof was literally almost the size of the whole roof on the Z. And so basically while he was measuring and getting ready to cut, you know, literally a a three foot by two foot gaping hole in the roof, I had to stand at the door to the garage from the garage to the house just to keep my mom from freaking out. (laughs) Well, she wouldn't freak out. She would just go out there and say something. And then my dad would, you know, make a mistake. And, you know, it literally was like an all day thing because my dad was, you know, a big, big uh, proponent of the measure twice cut once. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, you know, at that point I just, even if it was four or five, six hours sitting out there watching guard, I just liked being in the garage and it wasn't about working on the car. I just, there was something that I enjoyed about the feeling about being around the cars and um, yeah, it was just something yeah. that, uh, you, you know, like any other childhood memory, it's just so vivid when it comes back, I can smell everything. I can hear, you know, everything in the garage sometimes not the best well no it's it's a wonderful memory you're painting a very nice picture here for all of us and i'm kind of chuckling because i was like the opposite of you with my matchbox i'm sitting here looking at the first matchbox by lesney i ever got from my dad when i was i think i was five or six years old it's a jaguar xke and while you were crushing yours i was making little car covers for mine so I don't oh, know. I know. <laughs> and the sad thing is I, I i what is it the rarest hot wheel is that uh it was like a bus or something. I, I, I can't imagine the dollars of Hot Wheels that are really valuable. <laughs> I've crushed. You know what? You were having fun, and that's all that really matters. So, Oh, gosh. You know, that my guess I had on yesterday, we had a little talk about 240Zs, his first car. So it's very interesting you bring that up. Really fun cars. Paul, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Talk a little bit about a huge challenge, or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this, of course, has to do with how did you overcome that situation? What did it teach you? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, when you say that, the first thing I think of is trying to get a Ferrari or a Porsche Turbo to pass California smog. Oh gosh, um, yes. <laughs> which, but uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, early in my career, 
long before auto kennel was even a thought, I was sort of going in the direction of whichever the wind blew me and whichever I thought career-wise would bring me financial success. And I, I was working, f- you know, one of the early pioneers in marketing for the online world in 94. And I just was working for these startups. And I, I think I, I, you know, roll the dice and strike it big. And I would put all this passion, all this time, all this energy. And within two years, no matter what I did, it would go out of business. Mm. And and it would i i think i must have been with five or six startups in in less than a decade you know from the early mid 90s to maybe 2004 or 5 mm-hmm. and i just I, I i just got tired of getting on that hamster wheel and just you know running like i was just obsessed and and i didn't even like the wheel <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know and and you know sometimes and i always tell people you know even if it's something you love what you do I mean, there's sometimes there is that hamster wheel effect. You are running around. You're doing the same thing. But for some reason, you know, the wheel is okay. You know, mm-hmm. I like it. You know, I, I sometimes, yeah, I do. I help a client find or buy a car and do my marketing. And I do it again and again. But it never feels it never feels old. And I think for me, to what finally just got me to get off that wheel onto, you know, wheels Your own wheel. Hurt, yeah. My own wheel, yeah. Wheels you love. <laughs> My dad's far more conservative than I am, but I am generally still somewhat conservative. I wasn't ready, you know. I listened to Wayne Dempsey talk about just you know selling the house and buying a nine fifty nine. I wasn't going to do that. I, I just I don't have <laughs> that was an interesting story, wasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, I just like wow, what a wife. Um, yeah, but the one thing I learned over life is I knew that I could outwork almost anyone. And so while I was working full time, and I actually had two full time jobs working for two different companies in the industry, but they were different businesses. One was software and one was consulting. And I was running the autocrosses for our local PCA and I was putting on some special events for manufacturers. I mean, I was just busy. I had a newborn on the way. You know, that's when I started to do auto count at the same time saying, you know what, I don't have to get rid of all this stuff. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, you know, work like a dog. And, and eventually, you know, it's just, the pain and suffering of that part, um, you never remember. You know, it, it, it <laughs> yes. hurts, but I can't remember how bad it hurt. Yeah. But the thought that if I hadn't done that, um, that was just a far worse, worse thought. So, you know, I, I think the hard part is just doing something different. And you'll know when you're doing it because it hurts. But it, it, you know, the Band-Aid pulls off pretty quick. Well, you know, Paul, your comments uh, I take to heart and they they mean a lot and it's really important for everyone to figure out what it is that brings them joy in life. And there's a great quote I pulled. I'm not even sure where I found it, but it reads, the most dangerous risk of all is to the risk of spending your life not doing what you want on a bet that you can buy yourself the freedom to do it later. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah, it's really, it really has always made sense for me because uh and what you were just talking about is exactly exactly right it's important to figure out what it is in life that you really want to do and and make sure you're spending your time doing that because we can spend a lot of time on that wheel and the wheel never gets anywhere as you said it just keeps spinning around spinning around let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum i'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career i like to say it's a time when the headlights come on and Kind of illuminate your way to this new direction and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Yeah, it, you know, it was, what I've 
try to tell people is I think sometimes, you know, for myself, I'm a little thick to catch the aha moment. But <laughs> if you listen to your friends and your family, I think they'll tell you when you're about when you're having an aha moment and just tell you to focus on it. And, you know, it, it I mean, I live and breathe and eat cars. And even my wife probably <laughs> She's like, are we going to talk about anything else? <laughs> and I'm just fanatical about it. I mean, I just really enjoy it. And I, I mean, I go to cars and coffee like it was a religion. And I look for, I mean, I, if there's a weekend and I'm not doing anything car related, I'm going to go nuts. And I would walk around the cars and coffee with my friends. And we were literally like, you know, the curmudgeons from the Muppets, just mocking cars, having fun. I mean, it just, we would just have this rant and dialogue about all the cars and then when I would get cars on consignment you know my friends would ask about it and we would just have these really funny conversations about anecdotes stories about the cars and then one day someone said you know you ought to just send an email out in you know <laughs> or why don't you put this stuff in your ad because you know I was doing all this ad copy and writing stuff and trying to be professional and and not offend anyone and I was like there's no way I can you know, on an eBay ad, say that about a car. Yeah. You know, or I might offend the owner. <laughs> and finally, I said, but you know what? I could probably send an email. And, I, and as I mentioned earlier, I was, I was getting people calling me literally every week, hundreds of people saying, hey, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And I had this really complex spreadsheet and I was trying to figure out, okay, when this car came in, it'll cue these people to email them. And it, it was just mind boggling trying to keep track of who wanted what. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to get a car. I'm going to kind of pre-chew it for him. I'm going to drive it. I'll look it over. If I need a mechanic to look at it, I'll fix it. I'll detail it. I'll research the history. You know, I'll basically make it so it's a little tidy, consumable package, and I'll just email it to everyone I know. And that way they cannot blame me for not remembering they were looking for that car. And sure enough, I started doing that. And it was great because it was an outlet for me. I, I could say the things I wanted to say about cars and have fun with them um, because that's what I really love. I love the the quirkiness about cars, the stories they have to tell. I love the people that drive them. And I got to share that other aspect you don't get to read on a traditional listing for a you know a vintage car, any kind of car. Sure. And and it just grew and it grew. I think we have over a couple thousand subscribers and I mean, literally half of the people who get my email read it, which, you know, coming from the online world, that was just. <laughs> it's a big percentage. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it was and it was mainly because I was finally I was able to have fun and do the things I wanted to do with what I was doing that I didn't get to do before, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I understand completely. And that was the aha moment. It was like these people don't want to read another boring dealer ad. Mm -hmm. They want something else. They, you know, we're, we, we just, we want more entertainment, but something that is going to be thought provoking, interesting and get them to come back. And so I would send emails to my friends saying, Hey, would you open this thing? Would you read it? And the funny thing is if you read the emails that I can't publish, I mean, there was, <laughs> there, there was a limit because I had plenty of friends willing to put their two cents in and tell me what I should say about a car. Of course. Yeah, I understand. Ah, very cool. I love it. I love it. Another secret revealed. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one you could share with us? Yeah, there's uh, kind of one and a half, I guess. You know, I, 
I looked at the list of guests you've had on your show, and many of these people were people I've always respected in the automotive world. Even when I was a kid going to car shows with my dad, I saw these people who were either MCs or were head judges and or had were big collectors, and I always looked up to them. And you know, in the last few years, I'm seeing these people, many of them who were guests on your show, you know, guys like Bruce Canapa, Bruce Meyer, and some other people come into my shop and or call me and ask for advice. <laughs> nice. I feel like that guy who's looking over his shoulder like, are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just, it, it still to this day sort of blows me away. These are people I just, not idolize, but just, you know. Respect. They, yeah. yeah, respect. And what would they ever ask me about? So I was very um, humbled by that. And I think, you know, a lot of them come in and usually talk to my dad and and tell him how much one, they they love my quirky sense of humor on the emails, but also, um, and my dad usually says, you know, he's he's adopted, but I'm not. <laughs> we don't know where we found him. Exactly. He's in a junkyard somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but I could tell that, you know, he, he you know, you, you, you can always tell when your dad's proud. You know, of you, course. Since, since you're a baby, you, you, you get that look on the face. And, you know, and, and, and the other part when it was that proud moment was, it was only like a year or two after opening the auto kennel and, and we were still kind of bumbling around. And my mom finally came and, and visited our shop. We got it all set up. And it was a small little warehouse. And we probably had 15 or 20 cars. But they were really cool cars. I mean, anything from a Renault R5 Turbo to uh, Alpha GTV. I mean, we had just a eclectic group of cars. I mean, they were basically all the cars I loved. Nice. And she walked in one day and she said, you know, when you're in, you know, she just remembers me lining up. Hot Wheels as a kid on the carpet before <laughs> before they went to the Crusher, yeah. and she said that did you ever think you know you would be here you know mm. and I remember looking at it like man I I work here that's crazy yeah and um, you know and and I just that was you know like wow and I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen but this isn't so bad not bad at all let's have a little bit of fun what was your first really special car. Uh, it, it it and I it's always tough because there's so many great cars, but it wasn't my first Porsche, but it was fairly early on. Um, I bought a 1978 Porsche 930 Turbo. Mm. People who know me, I appreciate Concorde cars, original, unrestored, all that, but I am a sucker for a hot rod. I love to drive, <laughs> and um, this car only it only had 22,000 original miles. Uh, the owner builder was a guy named Paul Vanderlinden who lives here in Orange County insane fabricator. I mean, he's built cars on wooden bucks in his garage and, and he was doing fabricating for Andile and he bought this car and he built it into kind of this 934 street hot rod. And it was still the original color, which was cashmere beige, which, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically full diaper Brown. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, and I, it's and one I, of those seventies colors. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's a, and and the, whoever ordered the car actually spent extra because it was a nine twenty eight color. You had to get it special paint mm, okay. for the nine thirty paint to sample. Paint to sample, and he uh, it had magnesium RSR wheels, uh, fifteen inch, you know, by twelve in the rear and fifteen by ten. I mean, it it had the bolt on, you know, fiberglass pop riveted flares. I mean, the thing just looked evil. It 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 belched fire. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just. And it was this low mileage car, and I, and I when I bought it, I just couldn't deal with the color. And actually, we ended up uh, doing a pink pig scheme, but we did it in dark brown on this sort of 
coffee cream color brown um, in the theme of a, a cow. So it's wow. cuts. It was cow cuts. And oh my gosh. Li- the license plate said Mad Cow. And a lot of guys in the <laughs> early 9 11 hot rod group, they, uh, you know, they just, they knew the cow car. And I mean, I had it for about, gosh, 10 years, which for me is a lifetime. And mm-hmm. I probably put 10 or 15,000 miles of just, you know, spine chilling, hair raising, back road. You know, we used to call them going to Monterey eight hour autocrosses. You know. <laughs> Sounds um, like fun. <laughs> yeah, great well, car. Sounds like it. Yeah, awesome. How about a vehicle that you let go? And I know you've sold lots and lots of cars. So let's not talk about the money aspect. It's the emotional aspect. Is there a car you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? You know, it's it's tough because I, I am one of those people that when I'm done with a car and I sell it, I, I really am done. And 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 I I rarely have any kind of regret. It's never for financial, you know, because there's always going to be another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a few years ago, I mean, probably started four or five years ago, we got a 67911 SN from a, a really great guy. And it, and it was a VARA race car. And it had been a VARA race car for, you know, since the early 90s. Him and his son raced on it. He won, I don't know how many seasons with it. Uh, it was featured in all these magazines. And when he brought it to me, just to sell on consignment as a race car, I didn't even know it was a 911S. Mm. And... And we tried to sell it and, and it just, it was too nice and it didn't qualify for any, you know, two liter challenge or any of the other groups. So it was just sort of this weird anomaly. We didn't know what to do. And, and I, we had the car for three or four months, which for me is forever because we average more like about a month to get rid of a car. And, but I kept on looking at the car and I kept on calling the owner. And every time I'd call him and ask a question, I get a little bit more information. Bottom line was this car had an insane history. It was originally owned by Dick Vitone who was the founder of Empey, one of the first Volkswagen oh, yeah. dealers mm-hmm. in Southern California. I lived, he was out by Riverside. And he, people don't know, he had a Porsche dealership out in Riverside for a very short time. Him and Porsche, I don't think, ever got along real well. There's tons of rumors. Um, you know, I think he, his Volkswagen dealership was called Econo Motors. And I think um, he wanted to call the Porsche dealer, you know, Econo Motors too. <laughs> I don't think Porsche found no. particularly appealing. But anyway, he bought in very end of late, late 67, he bought a Tangerine 67S from the factory and it was going to be used to showcase all of his go fast MP products for Porsche, which never panned out. No mm. one ended up buying this stuff. Right. And he hired Bob Bondurant to be kind of his promotional figurehead. Bob Bondurant drove it at Riverside Raceway for all the magazine shoots, which we found all this stuff. I ended up talking to Dick's son who builds motors up, uh, I think in Oregon now. And he used to, he told me these stories about how Bob was teaching Dick's son how to road race. And he was teaching Bob how to drag race. Cause that was their specialty. Okay. And he used to take this car out to orange County drag strips and he was teaching Bob Bonner on how to drag race in it. And, wow. and, you know, just the idea of drag racing in a, in a 67 S the more I researched it, I finally talked, I just decided to buy the car. And we spent the next year basically putting it close to stock. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the way Dick would have had it running, you know, showcasing his empty stuff. A lot of people didn't understand why it didn't have the correct wheels and look, you know, original. Right. Yeah, um, had the original engine case. It was just not in the car. It hadn't been in the car for years. I mean, it was a. It had the owner when he built the race car. He saved every piece of trim, and we had everything. And so we put the car back together. You know, we took it to auction. I honestly didn't think it would sell. It's um, it's now sitting, I think, in the Campbell Soup collection 
somewhere, unfortunately not being driven because right before we sold it, we did 1000 mile trip with the early nine 11 guys to Cambria. And I mean, if you've ever been up that way by Fort Hunter Liggett and those roads, roads. it was one of the most fun. I mean, we chased two BMW motorcycles for 30 miles through those Hills. Wow. And I remember we pulled (laughs) over with them and they're like, what the heck is that thing? Yeah, what's in that thing? <laughs> it's only 45-year-old 911. That's it. Yeah, pretty easy. Wow, what an interesting story. I, thank you for sharing that. Very, very cool. How about current projects? Is there something you guys are working on there? You know, we're into the new year here, so something you guys are working on that really has you excited and fired up? Absolutely. And this is, I think, the most excited I've been about any project. Every year, Everyone asks me, well, you know, do you buy cars and flip them? I just, I don't have the stomach for that. We just do consignment. But if I do buy a car, it's for me. And I always assume I'm going to be underwater. I'll never make money. And who knows when I'll sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually the only time I sell my own car is if there's something else I got to have instead. Right. And we always, so we always, each year there's one we get and I like, I just like to play with them and make them cool and, and kind of put my spin on it. But um, we have a project called Mr. Magoo. And I mean, it's when I, one of the early dates with my wife, and this has been a long time project, we walked, she walked to the shop. First time she saw my shop, she saw all the different cars. I mean, just eye candy. And back in the corner is this little 1966 BMW 1600, not complete, doesn't even have an engine in it. It's got a little uh, dinghy, uh, like a Sabbath boat mounted to the top of it. And she went right to that car and, and she loved that car. And she's the one who named it Mr. Magoo. She said, it just <laughs> looks like Mr. Magoo, the cartoon. This, a really dear friend of mine, uh, Nick Reed, he owns, his family owns the building we're in and knew him for, you know, for almost 20 years. Uh, and, and he ended up passing away a couple of years of cancer way too soon. Um, but this was a project he started so long ago and it came in to uh, a guy who shares the building with us. His name is Jeff Tig. He owns Tig Productions and they do really cool restorations of old BMWs. This car came in and the owner of the car wanted to turn into a vintage racer. Mm. And fortunately for Jeff, he realized this was the second oldest 1600 in the US. Ooh, yeah. And, and it was not complete. But there was a lot of really weird pre-production stuff that unless you restore these things day in, day out, you would never – I would have never caught it because they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the next 10 years, I think Nick must have bought three or four ca- complete cars just to get trim. And then he passed away. It, the project never got done. I adopted it three years ago. Finally, Jeff's got chance to work. You know how it is. It's like it's like a gardener. You never come home and mow your own lawn. You know, we never finish our own projects. We're busy helping people with other projects. <laughs> yes. And I just said to my dad, we gotta finish this car. You know, and my dad being far more prudent and practical, you know, how much is it going to be worth when we're done? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but we're not selling it. And he's like, well why are we doing it? I'm like, because I want it. Yeah. And um so a good Jeff got busy. A good friend of ours out in Norco, his name's Randy English, Randy English Restoration, talented fabricator. I literally just gave him a truckload of vomited parts, a chassis, an engine sitting in it that didn't run um, or wasn't hooked up. And believe it or not, he said he texted me last night. He finally found an original ignition switch, which we've been looking for. Oh, cool. Uh, and what's great is, and anyone in the car community knows this, when you start asking friends for help in the in the car world, mm-hmm. I mean, we have found so many great parts from all of our buddies 
um, to put this special car together. And I think in the next 30 days, and I, I can't believe it, it's going to actually be running. It'll be the first time I've seen it drive on its own power in almost 15, 20 years. All right. Welcome to life, Mr. Magoo. I know. <laughs> I, I love it. it. I can't cool. wait. Very cool. Exciting. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Paul. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> well, I think there's the cars that we would like to be. We like to project ourselves to be like some exotic Ferrari. And, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you ever met me, I am I am not exactly the most svelte figure at <laughs> six feet and 230 pounds, unfortunately. So I would probably be a, an old Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> I like it. I like well, sure. that's why I like the question when people answer it honestly. Yeah, we all want to be that sleek, sexy Italian sports car, but uh, maybe we're not. So I think. Well, I think a lot of it is. I just you know we have an old '67 Bug, another you know one of the cars that, as my dad says, are we running a museum or a dealership? And <laughs> that car's not going anywhere. Yeah, and you know it doesn't matter what I drive, how exotic or how rare. If I get in that Volkswagen. There is, I can't think of one time, no matter how short a drive, someone didn't give me a thumbs up. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And I just, um, you know, I, I try to be approachable. I try to make people smile. You know, it's definitely for me, uh, I'm all about the journey. Great, so. great answer. I love it. Well, Paul, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Paul, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Absolutely. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Treat everyone with respect because you never know who you're talking with. Oh, absolutely. Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Yeah, I, you know, I hear people say, oh, don't sweat the small stuff and life is all small stuff. But in this business, um, I, I do. You have to sweat the details because it's what the people around me expect, the people I, I work for, my clients. And I try to help everyone I meet. I mean, I honestly try to help. It's hard and it takes a lot of time, but try to make everyone feel like they have my attention. Good way to live life for sure. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? I think, you know, um, I feel weird promoting myself, but the email list and, and it's, I don't care if I tell people it's not about me selling you a car. The hardest part of our business is just to get people to trust me to, sh to, to sell their car for them. Right. But my email list, I think they'll hopefully get a chuckle. It'll brighten up their morning. I don't spam the death out of people. It's only cool cars I have something to say. And I think they'll learn a little bit about the market, learn a little about some different cars that might be outside their focus. And then just yeah, there's so many great resources online. Um, German Car Blog is great. Jalopnik 
is another one of my favorites. And I'm not a huge, you know, valuation guy, you know, Kelly Blue Book and all those type of things because mm-hmm. they seem to not keep up with what's really happening. But um, Haggerty's online valuation guide is not bad. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not the end all, but it, it, it's a good starting place. Yeah, absolutely. So people can subscribe and I'll remind our listeners we'll have a link to your website on your show notes page here at Cars Yeah, but they can subscribe there to get onto your email list and see what you're up to. Absolutely. We'd love it. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you'd like to share with our listeners that you think they would enjoy reading? Absolutely. I'm, I love uh, biographies of successful people. I've always been you – know, appeals to me. Two I've read recently that are very different, but there's a lot of same themes. The Elon Musk biography, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm a sp- space geek, so it's really <laughs> cool to listen about SpaceX. Oh, yeah. And there's another recent one. I think the author's name is McCullough. It's about the Wright brothers. You know, we all think we know about the Wright brothers, but you want to hear about pain and growing. Um, that, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Paul Kramer. And Paul's last name is spelled K-R-A-M-E-R. And there's also another great place on the Cars yeah website, Guest Recommended Books, where you can find these books and all the other books recommended by guests with quick, easy links to make a purchase and get yourself a little more educated and have a little bit of fun. We are up to the checkered flag, Paul. And this last question, for a car guy like you, can be a real doozy. If you could have only one, yeah, I said one, collector car in your garage. But don't worry about the cost, because today I'm going to write the check. What would that one vehicle be and why? (laughs) Well, I always remind my wife what this one vehicle is, um, and I think she... uh, gets a little bit of a dry heave and spits up in her mouth because she can't stand it. <laughs> and it's kind of ironic. Ever since I was a kid, and if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, we all had that Lamborghini Countach mm-hmm. on our garage, on our uh, bedroom wall. Yep. And I want a white on white with white wheels, the full pimp uh, Lamborghini Countach. Um, when I was a kid, I had a Harold Cleworth drawing, uh, a painting of one. Oh, yeah. I know if the next person who has to remind me what a horrible car it is to drive, I know I totally <laughs> prepared for it. Um, I know it's it is just the first car that just you know stirred me emotionally down to the bone. Yeah. And if you look at our logo, it is a uh, Lamber- white Lamborghini Countach coming out of like a Snoopy doghouse. Um, my friend who works for Porsche now designed it for us years ago when I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with it, and. If people go, well, you sell mostly Porsches and German cars. Why would you have a Countach? Which, ironically, and I'm still waiting for the day, I have never sold a Lamborghini. Um, <laughs> well, and, just, I, and I'm waiting for someone to bring me a Countach to sell. But that was my carrot. You know, I think yeah. you know, when things do well, I'm going to park one of those really in the garage. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sitting here looking at your logo as we're Skyping going, hey, there's that car coming out of the doghouse. So, and I think with your wife, if you buy the car, you're going to be living in the doghouse. But uh, at least you'll be sitting in your white Lamborghini Countach, <laughs> enjoying yeah. life in the doghouse. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they're. I've I've never driven one, but I've ridden in them, and yeah, very unique cars, different cars. I have a, a friend here, Mike, who's a listener here in the Pacific Northwest. Hello, Mike. Shout out to you. He's got a red one. Uh, he loves the car. He drives it a lot, which is great because most of those are just garage queens. I'd rather see him out on the road. I think he would too. So. Very nice choice. I'll work on that for you. Harold Cleworth has been a guest here on Cars, yeah. So, and when you get yours, he'll paint you your own painting. I'll get you one of those along with it. You can hang inside that doghouse. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. Perfect. 
perfect. <laughs> well, Paul, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive up the Pacific Coast Highway in your white Lamborghini Countach? Absolutely. You know, I don't have to tell people to find their passion. I think I think most people actually know what it is. It's it's a thing that you want to do the most, whatever that is. And you don't have to sell the farm and do it tomorrow. But if each day you can do one thing that towards that passion that may make it your life endeavor, that's one step in the right direction. And pretty soon you'll you'll realize you've you know, walked a bunch of steps and you're doing what you love to do. It does not have to be just jump off the cliff and hope for the best. But if you're not moving one direction towards it each day, you're not doing anything. Right. Great advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Auto Kennel? It's pretty simple. Go to autokennel.com. That's auto, K-E-N-N-E-L.com. And you'll see on our homepage, it's pretty simple. My dad does all of our website, which is amazing. He's over 70. And wow, good for him. He's our, he's our tech guy. and um, <laughs> Very cool. Definitely, you'll find everything you need about events and fun stuff we're doing. Well, listeners, I would encourage you to check Auto Kennel out. You're going to have some fun. You're going to get to see all the cars that are available there. Uh, talk to Paul when you're in the area. Stop by and hang out because it seems to be the place where all the cool guys hang out. Paul, I've really enjoyed everything you've shared with us today, and I want to thank you for being a guest here on Cars Yeah. Oh, thank you, Mark. I, I'm really honored to be on your show. This is very cool. Well, until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!